Hello and welcome to episode 13 of How Not, the brand new shiny podcast hosted by me, Luca Manning. And me, Kim McCarty. And do you know what? I'm just going to get right to it. Our podcast is here to remind you, as always, to be good troublemakers, think big and ask, How Not? How are you, Kim? I'm good, thank you. I had a nice time with you at Ronnie's. Oh yeah, you did. I feel like... I, I remember going up to you afterwards and saying I've embodied the erotic. You have, and that was the best thing anyone's ever said to me, Ronnie. So that's <laughs> great. I really felt it actually, like after recording last week's episode and then kind of strutting around in a Jean Paul Gaultier dress and yeah. and that lovely mesh see through top and PVC trousers. Actually, I feel like I've really embodied the erotic this week because yeah. I've worn PVC trousers, which I'm wearing right now, three times this week, and I've just brought that energy to like everything yeah i just feel like i own my power in a whole new way after audrey lord like blew my mind yeah i've also been sending that to everyone that like video of her reading that oh yes the best like every single one of my friends it's like yeah i'm just feeling a bit like a bit weird listen to this listen to this it'll be it's all gonna be fine it's all gonna be fine um yeah that was lovely thank you for coming to that no thanks for having me and it was lovely to Hang out with your mum. I was just about to say, yeah, my, one of my favourite things was that you and my mum just couldn't separate. She's you a lovely just, little egg. She's a good egg, right? And I spoke to my mum the other day, actually, and she just listened to the last episode and she has asked me to pass on to you that she would like to keep you on the mantelpiece Aww. And so she can look at you. Oh, I will <laughs> happily grace your mum's mantelpiece any day of the week. She says she was like, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna sign up to the thing, the, the the Patreon thing." But I keep forgetting what the word is, and I keep thinking it's Peloton. So she <laughs> might either end up on the Patreon page, or she'll buy a fucking two grand exercise bike. Listen, I'm surprised my mum got there. Like I sent that link through, and I was like, "God have mercy. Who knows what's gonna happen here." <laughs> maybe she got some help i don't know yeah maybe there was a tutorial or something yeah um yeah it was lovely and um john from our prison abolition yeah and, and matt, matt came. yeah it was so lovely because i could see you guys in the audience and it was lovely because somewhere like ronnie's you know i love ronnie's to bits and it is like the best jazz club you know but um sometimes the clientele if you don't know them, yeah. you worry as a performer. So being able to look out and see my people, my yeah, kind of friends, definitely. out in that audience really made the world a difference because you, you you could see everyone. So I was like, oh, there's so-and-so, there's John, Matt and Kim, there's, you know, all my pals that Sam, were there. And was he, Sam, Sam was, there. was there, yeah. So many people, it was yeah, lovely. It was a beautiful coming together of folk and it was a pleasure to share the stage with the folk I shared the stage with. Yeah. And yeah, it was one of those ones that, yeah, just a special one all Definitely. around. Yeah. And yeah, also I remember talking about London Trans Pride in last week's episode and you know, you were like, you and my mum had it off so well. Like my mum was literally like a celeb at Trans Pride. Like, <laughs> uh, like we ended up in Soho Square and like it'd been the, the most amazing march ever. Like just the best day of the year, hands down. But we ended up in Soho Square and with all these lovely people and like, my mum left to go meet her partner for dinner and like folk were coming up to me in Soul Square like where's your mum oh, no. and I was like oh sh- she's gone they're like, you're joking <laughs> they're like when's she coming back I was like I, I, I don't know and I'm like but I'm here and they're like no no where's no, your mum like so yeah shout out to everyone at London Trans Pride and, and my mum that made friends that was cute um, talking about yeah. uh, trans uh, pride and tra- other trans issues I got a thing through prisoner uh, solidarity network today actually about uh so there was a 
court case by there's this women uh, woman prisoner who um brought this case against the Secretary of State for Justice. Um she said that her human rights were violated by having to be in the same prison as trans women mm-hmm. um who have convictions for sexual or violent offences against women. So she and other gender critical groups and that is that I hope that sounds dripping in cynicism yeah, when I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. they brought this case against it being you know, saying that this shouldn't be allowed and the High Court yesterday rejected it and said don't be so fucking Great. stupid. Great. Um I did see that actually. I've seen it shared somewhere and wondered where it'd come from. Yeah. So um Bent Bars, which is a um which Sarah Jean Baker, who was at Transpride, who's yeah. talking part of Prisoner Solidarity Network and also uh, involved in Bent Bars. The, one one of the people within that collective um, was sort of granted permission to intervene because I think a lot of the information that they were using is like kind of really shoddy, kind of faulty, not not true. We stuff, often you know. see this with the argument from these fucking people about you know safe spaces. It's like the the facts and figures just don't add up. It's yeah. a bit like when 9-11 happened and people decided that all Muslims carried bombs, right? It's literally like we're talking, and even on a smaller scale, because there's a smaller number in the community. Yeah, so there's all this, there's a lot of talk about how there's this, one of the main arguments, I think, is around like violent trans women and that they are a danger to... um, I mean, and, and yet... Trans women are the most likely to experience violence in society. Exactly. You know, it's just like... So it it was really nice to have... Well, to yeah, to have people stand up and say, well, actually, that's not true at all. that's great. And then for the High Court to say, yeah. Yeah, a a surprising win. We've got to celebrate the wins. We really do because it just gets shit otherwise. And to see Sarah Jane at Transpire was lovely and she actually shouted out Matt and the Prisoner Solidarity Network. I sent you that video, I think, and... That was really nice because it was a kind of nice marrying of, you know, activist spaces that I've watched, you know. It's nice to, f- yeah, find that sort of world of activism. It is, yeah, that kind of little space in which lots of mutual friends exist. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful, helping each other out. So well done to well Bars done and those people. Everyone. That was good. Um, mm, mm, mm. Right. So who are we talking about today? We're talking about McQueen! Alexander McQueen. Alexander Alexander McQueen. This is exciting. When because you know you just dropped the bomb this week. You were dropped like, bomb, yeah. Alexander McQueen question mark. And I knew it would come at some point. <laughs> and I've been like holding it off because I'm like, I need the energy. I need the energy levels. But we're just here and we're it's here, fine. We're and we're it. gonna we're gonna do it. Yeah. And it was also quite timely actually because I was listening to so Glenn Fo- Glenn Fossil, I think it's Glenn Fossil from Sync the Pink. Um just started a podcast called We Can Be Heroes. Mm-hmm. Great name. Where they interview like people that are their heroes yeah and skin from skunk and nancy is the first guest Mm -hmm. and skin actually talks about mcqueen and 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 just said you know the thing i loved about mcqueen is that he was always an east end boy Mm -hmm. and and i was listening to that just as we were planning this week's topic so i thought that was quite nice yeah Um, that's lovely so yeah well why we why we why are we talking about alexander mcqueen why are we talking about so i I'm really shouting into this mic. Sorry, Sam, if this is a bitch to edit. Not Sorry, that we all edit the it anyway. <laughs> Don't listen to it in, uh, with headphones. Take yeah. your headphones off. Yeah, take them out. Um, yeah, I love McQueen. So when I started to really kind of get into fashion, sort of fashion as art, it was 
Westwood and McQueen that mm. I was drawn to first. And I guess they're quite interesting characters, both of them, where they intersect is how they brought in, well, Scottishness into their collections. The tartan. In the very tartan different bibs. ways. And I think both of them, neither of them were the biggest fan of the other one's approach. Um, I think the way that McQueen describes it is that Vivian Westwood was into the kind of beautiful tartans and silks and the decadence and the sort of, you know, celebration of that the kind of beauty in terms of like uh of Scotland. And he was more interested in the kind of kind of raw history it's of very dark. Like the the clearances and the wars and the Jacobite rebellion and all of that stuff. And um so for him it was yeah, it was like the the complete opposite to to that. Yeah. And I think it was like I don't think he appreciated the kind of, you know, commercialization, the sort of trinkety bits of tartan here, there and everywhere without, I guess he felt like if you do that, you can't ignore all the other stuff. Right. Um, One of the things I really liked about him was that he really did just use clothes as a medium, as an artist Mm -hmm. um, in the way that I don't think lots of other people at that time or since actually have done in such a sort of, interesting way so like you know just like any art form he wanted fashion to reflect life and so he was and he was interested in the dark side as well as the light so it wasn't I think just because about... that was his experience of exactly. life as well you yeah know? it needs to be sad yeah um so I mean they still all of his shows are still very striking because they're well, not like anything else. Well, no, because they're performances. Yeah, they're totally theatrical. Yeah, and totally like meant to trigger something within the the viewer. Exactly. You know? There's a thing he says where he says like, um, "Clothes have the power to disturb and fascinate." And he says this thing. Um, he's like, "I don't want you to come out of one of my shows feeling like you've just had Sunday lunch. I want you to either be repulsed or exhilarated." Right, and this is it. Yeah, and I think like. For me, that is exactly what art is. is it should about. be, make you feel something. Just yeah. as long as you feel something. Yeah, this Vogue video I watched said, you, you know, he knew how to create looks of extreme beauty as well as looks that disturbed you and haunted your dreams. Right, exactly. And this is because, you know, if we go back to the, the beginning, you know, like in his background, you know, he left, it was a very, very working class background, East End, Londoner. And he left school at 16 and became an apprentice, like in a pattern cutter, all these kind of Mayfair tailors. Yeah. Savile Row, yeah. So he had this extreme like craftsmanship, this skill of like how to create a really tailored garment. And he was crazy good as and a he tailor. And he was, you know, very, yeah. very good at that. But then he he went to Milan and, and did some bits and then came back and did an MA at Central St. Martins. And that's where he really found his artistic and creative voice as a fashion designer. So it was this kind of beautiful marrying of being able to create clean cut garments and yet, fuck everything up at the yeah. same time you know he was like the bad boy of fashion but loved by the establishment at some points you know you i know? think that, yeah i'm always really interested in in how he fits with this kind of pool between establishment and anti-establishment it's a bit like we said about viv as well it's, yeah. it's similar and a lot but of I, think that I think maybe slightly more polarized with mcqueen i'd say like yes i don't think yeah i think there's it's further away in a way i think know? so too yeah and i think i just yeah he talks about um so yeah he did the Savile Row thing which actually I actually found a funny story about that like in the obituary written in the Observer when he died it's 
says um, it is said that while working as an apprentice as a young boy in Savaro, he gratified obscenities into yeah. the linings of suits intended for the Prince of Wales. And I love that. That explains exactly who he was from the get go. Right, as exactly. A young guy, you yeah. Know? And like, it's incredibly difficult, uh, kind of detailed work to be a tailor. Yeah. And his, he was so, well, he was so fastidious and focused and he wanted to learn everything and he mm. was kind of firing through it and um john kitterick who who's the designer at red or dead um brought him in because they just they just needed machinists to do stuff and they were doing this um collection called space baby which was based on the the moon landings and it like blew mcqueen's mind that you could use a subject that wasn't to do fashion or clothes as inspiration yeah to make and fashion. you can represent the world around you and i can when you look at mcqueen's work you think like that is a massive pivotal moment where he was like, holy shit. And then from that moment on, then he's just like, he's here, there and everywhere. Books, historical references, like he's completely immersed in like looking way beyond fashion and clothing. Totally. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not like self-referential work. It's not, it's like looking at really deep, interested stuff. And the, the person who ran the course at St. Martin's said that he had a really interesting way of kind of, interpreting you know culture in the world around him because he wasn't educated in a conventional way right so he didn't go to school past 16 and he hadn't done a a ba you know he hadn't done an undergrad in anything and so he was finding all these like books and references and he was bringing them to her and he was really excited because it's the first time he'd come across them no one was the way she described it was no it wasn't information that was filtered through lots of layers exactly he had that unadulterated thing that we we talk about that kids kind of have yeah exactly uninhibited kind of searching desire and curiosity yeah because he hadn't been jaded by the conventions of an establishment yeah which and he was like that passion and emotion and like excitement for like learning new things seemed to be like his driving force yeah throughout you know and like yeah john he asked john kittrick what should i do now and John had said that there was all the sort of fashion houses in Italy were were making setting up these diffusion lines and they needed people to go and work for them. So he just like went just like went to Milan with like nothing yeah. and just like chapped on people's doors and Kitterick said like a couple of weeks later he got in touch with me and let me know that he'd got a job as as uh, Romeo Gigli's assistant and like John was like I shat my pants because I mm. couldn't believe he'd managed it and then he's like he does that he absorbs as much information as he possibly can from milan and then he's back to london doing the next thing yeah like there's he was there was never a down moment he didn't mess know. around and then he was off Givenchy and and working for them wasn't he and then he did um then he started doing his own thing well he started doing his own thing before before then but commercially it wasn't until th- that deal was done with, with yeah. gucci right but it's, it's interesting because he's he started his own like his his final show at St. Martin's. Oh yeah, this is a pivotal moment actually because right. it was the show that Isabella Blow Yeah, that bought, Isabella went right? to, exactly. Yeah. And it was the first time that London Fashion Week had invited a kind of final degree show to show yeah. there. And his one was um, called Jack the Ripper Stocks as Victims. So it was like all about kind of East End of London, kind of Victorian era, um, Jack the Ripper stuff, really interesting, like loads of blacks and reds and like, ripped clothing and like barbed wire patterns like crazy this is a real shit. thing actually like that deconstruction of garments like that you know 
I think he really continued that theme throughout as well. You know, the garments have always been a beautiful mix of maybe extravagant kind of feather gowns or molded corsets. And then, you know, and then you have these like ripping of garments and like yeah. real kind of like physical yeah. things, you know, like rips and bruises and scabs and barbed wire and like r- real tactile moments yeah. of like d- of destruction yeah. within the clothes, which are cool. And yeah, Isabella Blow was there. And so Isabella was yeah, a writer. Let's talk about She was about, a yeah. fashion writer. She was kind of discovered by Anna Winter at American Vogue, worked there, worked at British Vogue, um, came from sort of wealth, kind of old money. Um, This incredible sort of eccentric, only really finds them. Deeply traumatised. Oh yeah, very broken. I I actually fell down, I I read her obituary in Vanity Fair today as well, and like, wow, I mean that, her life, I mean she... Oh yeah, I mean, there's some beautiful books on Isabel Blow. Yeah, she's like, incredible. And what a character! So go and read up about. I mean, we could do a whole episode on definitely. on her, you know. But she so discovered McQueen. Yeah, she did, and she that she was very good at that. She's very good at um, keeping an eye out for people and kind yeah. of. Yeah, it was said about up. her like she wasn't one of these people that was constantly looking to associate herself with who was big rather than who was going to get big. You know, it was yeah, like, yeah, definitely. She didn't care about wearing the bigger labels. She wanted to discover the next big labels yeah. and, and nurture talent. And she talks amazing. about like, she said at the start, I didn't care about Alex, well, Lee, his name. It, uh, yeah, Alexander's real name is Lee. Yeah. It was her that said you should use Alexander instead of Lee because it sounds better. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, I didn't care about Lee. I just wanted the clothes. And yeah. she would like phone his mum like six times a day to get the clothes and then there's like a little interview with him where he's like, yo, I didn't give a shit about her either. I just needed the money. <laughs> uh, and like, that is beautiful though, isn't it? And it was it? great. And so she bought all this stuff for like 350 quid. Um, and they, and one of the people that he went to St. Martin's with, um, Rebecca Barton, I think, talking talking about the fact that he would like, you know, his, his catwalk shows cost about 10 pounds. Like, because yeah. he was on, he was on, unemployment benefits he didn't have any money mm. he was properly working class so he was just that's why he's using all these things he was using like cling film and bin bags and like zips you could find you know and he knew where to find all the kind of wholesale stuff and then um yeah so someone saying can i buy the whole collection for a 350 quid was like so eh, yeah you can absolutely do that um and she yeah she really took him under the, theirs was a very very intense relationship i really like the way she describes it as fallen in love. And I really like the way that she describes it like that because I think that often we reserve that term and that language, actually, for romantic relationships. But I think you, that's, it's not exclusive no. to that. And, follow, and uh, that is how that relationship was. They fell in love with each other. Yeah. It was a very intense, close relationship. Um, they were both incredibly intense people. So yeah, like, with I, their own demons. And, yeah, and yeah. probably it could have only been that way i don't think either of them were particularly interested in like acquaintances they were like all or nothing it was all or nothing yeah and they because they they went through it you know like it isabella blue is said to have you know when men when mcqueen launched as a a brand you know to start selling in the commercial fashion world you know a deal was done with gucci right and and isabella was kind of like it supposedly set up a lot of that contact and then was written out of the contract so never benefited yeah. financially from it and one of her huge worries throughout her life was money and, yeah and and whatever so stuff like that you know there was a fracture and friction as part of it but it was with the 
the hot came the cold and it was all part of this fiery relationship that they had that definitely and he and i'm sure uh, this love was founded on much more than the the in and outs of a uh, of commercial contract i'm not saying yeah, that but no, exactly, for example yeah. you know they, these are such tumultuous territories when you work at this level of fame and money and and you work with people that you love yeah that, and it all gets a bit <laughs> the stressful. art gets skewed and yeah and there's a really interesting thing with I don't know how many other places this exists. It's certainly very much connected to social classes, but there are a lot of, on the one hand, very wealthy people that are actually quite, are kind of cash poor, so they might yeah. have lots of properties in their na- in their in their name, but they probably can't afford to heat them, and yeah. they you know, and there's this really interesting kind of. For someone like Lee McQueen, he he was very obviously working class. Yeah. I wore that with honor and and with pride and but and so in a way her situation was more complex than that and so there was an interesting thing because he always said oh you know our relationship was never about money and she said the same but there was this thing where in the end she felt like he let her down yeah like you know and then he didn't see it that way and but they were well, both also such an unlikely pairing of someone that, in terms of background, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a strange world in which they existed. Definitely, it was kind of like like the fox and the hound or something. Like they were not, if they hadn't been involved in fashion, their lives would not have brought totally. They wouldn't have been anywhere yeah. near each other. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, she she her influence not just in terms of McQueen, but also kind of Philip Treacy who. Was, was the milliner, co- the huge hat collaborator, yeah. Um, and you know, she was the kind of mother. She's a kind of weird mother figure, but you know, in in jazz, you have you've got Panonica, the woman who, um, kind of looked after lots of jazz musicians in the states. So right. we'd have like uh, Parker and Monk and and Mingus and stuff stay at her house, and she'd help them out. And I think she was a baroness. Um, you, yeah, a, these kind of philanthropic yeah, figures and socialites and, and social yeah. beings that kind of draw people to them. Yes, and have a kind of orbit around them, and then so there is a sort of little gang mm-hmm. that surrounded both him and her. I think because he was the same. He he because he was like a firework. People were mesmerized. He by him. always had interest in people around about. Yeah, in, in music and art. And yeah, culture. Um, but some of my favorite images are of Isabel Blow wearing his clothes mm. or them both. There's just the amazing, um, I think it's Vanity Fair. Yeah, I've heard people talk about these shots of both of them. Yeah, yeah. where he's in a dress and she's like holding the back of the dress and they're in front of this kind of old building that's on fire, I think. He, like incredibly like ambitious, expensive work. Yeah. But like such a beautiful image. And of course, so Philip Treacy, who is kind of, famous for what we now know as like the fascinator so yeah, when yeah, yeah. when your mum goes to a wedding and has a wee thing on her head but essentially was like hat the the only th- hats aren't the only thing you can wear on your head and this whole world every time Sculptures. you see something that looks super cool on someone's head it comes from philip Dreesen. oh yeah and and from isabella blow modeling yeah, it exactly you know, she speaks so poignantly about a hat she was like men want to fuck me because of 
my hat you know she was like you need to the whole the whole act of having to take it off or on her you know I, I can't remember exactly but there's some amazing text of her talking about the function of a hat and yeah. like I hadn't even thought about it in that way yeah yeah and she yeah she was always sporting the next Philip Tracy thing yeah. on her head you know and she um, and and I think when I was thinking back I was thinking about you know which of the McQueen shows are my favorite and so many of the images that live inside my head are it's quite hard to um extricate Tracy and McQueen because mm. the, uh, for me a lot of the very very important images do feature both of Tracy's them. work yeah, as yeah, well yeah. um well i think yeah well, i was watching back a lot of the shows and they're so so theatrical i mean they're quite amazing and yeah. you mentioned it at the start there that the highland drape collection which yeah. was like something like his fourth show or something yeah it was pretty early on and the highland like, drape it was yeah. like a fall 95 and inspired by the highland clearances which you know i I mean, let's talk about that briefly. It was kind mm. of, some people would refer to it as a kind of moment of ethnic cleansing in history. Yeah. And it was kind of the the British government really started to crack down on the Scottish clans and, and traditional kind of Gaelic, Gaelic folk. Like, there was like a ban of wearing tartan and playing the bagpipes, wasn't there? And like, there were yeah. real kind of like fiery times between like the Scottish clans and the, and the British government. And... Well, Scotland um, has a history of of um, land ownership, yeah, of, by English people. So yeah, so that they were the land. They were the landlords. The English, and they realised that um, using the land um, for livestock was going to be more profitable than, than having folk on it. People yeah. like croft farmers, so that would be a lot of the time where you'd be a farmer and you would give part of your harvest to your landlord, yeah, um, and you'd kind of be sort of trapped there forever it was yeah. quite a it was a very difficult life and yeah they decided actually if we just have sheep on this land it's a, yeah that was the big thing sheep became the new economy and, yeah. and they burnt folk out of their homes they didn't did they? so they were like basically all the good all the land that we can use that's kind of prime land that we can have sheep on we want to get all the people out of there and we're going to relocate them to all the land we can't use anyway. So that's basically all the land right on the coast where you can't plant crops and the weather's too harsh for livestock. Um, we'll fire them all up there. And this was a time of famine as well, wasn't it? Oh, so yeah, it was like to absolutely. Live, it, was, it was forcing people into... And there's still... If you drive around Scotland today, you'll still see black houses. You will see, like, crofting cottages that were left as they were left when mm. they were thrown out of their houses in the middle of the night often with all their belongings still there. Um, and it was, it was a cleansing of people. Yeah. And it's a very dark time in in Scottish history. Yeah. You know, massive impact in terms of people. And, McQueen and migration of people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's why, that's why you've got um, kind of strong Scottish connections to like Canada and Nova Scotia. North America. And, and North America as well. And then to Australia as well. Because um, they couldn't survive. They were forced out. And... Um, McQueen talks about it as a genocide, and that I yeah. don't disagree with him. Yeah. Um, and I, what was interesting is because his mum was involved. Um, Lee McQueen's mum was really interested in genealogy, so she'd loads of books at home about the clans and about the clearances and kind of Scottish history and what the McQueen clan's history was. And so he was exposed to that from, um, you know, it wasn't like he had this romantic vision of oh, I've got Scottish no, he ancestry. Had the raw. He had the raw. Yeah. And I think it made him quite angry. 
that it was that wasn't talked about enough. It wasn't referenced, you know, and it's really interesting then because we've talked about this before about national identity mm-hmm. for someone who is, you know, an East an East Ender. And Which has, was also a huge part of his work and his exactly. identity. London remained his world. Yeah, and for sure. And but, then he had this thing, this other part of his identity, which he wanted to explore. Now, part of that is exploring the fact that one half of your identity was responsible for very, very dark art acts against the other half. Yes. And then it's like, well, how do you, how do you reconcile that? And I, and it, for me, he had a really sort of fierce pride in the sort of underdogs of Scotland, you know, so he talks about being really inspired by the, the Jacobite rebellion and yeah. about you people rising up to fight against kind of forces that were, you know, that, that were greater than them, but way, much yeah. larger than them. And you can see that in his work, like, like the Highland rape collection. Absolutely. And also, oh like, yeah, the garments are ripped and yeah. battered and torn and, and it's very raw. It's very harrowing. Actually, it's not pretty. No. And someone said they're, McQueen's clothes are quite difficult to watch. Mm. Like they're not, they're not like, and you know, for me, this was the entry point to fashion because I wasn't really moved by the kind of celebration of beauty mm. in, a, in a really quite classical sense of a lot of fashion um, up until that point. And something that we constantly talk about, this idea of art not having to be comfortable, those things yeah. are not one and the same thing. And he he was like obsessed with that idea. Yes, I think. you you want people to be uncomfortable because he believed that people should know this stuff and should feel uncomfortable. But also, I think so much. Although his work wasn't, you know, it, it reflected the world around him in a beautiful way. It was kind of selfless in a beautiful way. It was also very. He poured his heart into it, and his reality was so. Um, how do you say it? his reality was so you know mixed and and there was hardship and there was love and loss and difficulty and real you know real shit so so he did he knew what it felt like to to this gave him an outlet to to express some of the darker emotions that he was in touch with and and it wasn't all rosy you know he wasn't there to give you just frills and frolics he was there to give you the the darker stuff as well definitely and i think that something an idea that we see played out a lot where it's like if there's a real privilege to be to to say to some, just do the good bit, exactly, yeah. and to say, oh, I want my art or I want my fashion or whatever to be beautiful and pretty and happy is from a real place of privilege. Mm-hmm. If you if you have that thought, and someone like McQueen who wasn't born of that privilege just didn't come at it from that way at all. There was no connection for him in that sense, which is why he stood out. Yeah. And then also, I think the time period that he was working in, so he was working and kind of came into being in the 90s. Which was, which was ultra a, beauty, supermodel. It was like a... And like over the top, yeah. like ab, like extremes. And so that was, you know, that was his reality. And and as you say, like he was absolutely revolutionary because not only did he have the skill set, and yet break the rules so much. But he, these settings in which his shows existed, like I was watching the Voss show, which is set in a glass cage, you know, re- yeah. representing the end of a psychiatric hospital. And like, yeah, then, I mean, I'll just, the, the hologram of Kate Moss, oh, uh, like just using technology stunning. in that way. And then for me, just that life changing moment. The number was, 13. Was the number 13. Which yeah. is our 13th episode. So like, I think we've, we've oh my God. Well. Yes. Look at us. But that, fucking dress i mean if anyone hasn't seen that n- number 13 you know 
It was basically was the model Shivan uh, Shalom Shalom Harlow. Shalom was Harlow. The, was the model? Yeah, yeah. and this was ninety nine, and she was trained as a ballet dancer, and you can yeah. totally tell absolutely that. tell the way she moves. Is and um, she's on this revolving turntable, and there's two robotic kind of guns kind of dancing with her yeah from a like like you'd see in a car factory spray paint from either side yeah 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 yeah. and then they just begin to spray paint this white dress that she's wearing and it's so fucking good and what's the the music playing is like requiem isn't it yeah yeah it's like the most intense like overwhelming sensory experience i mean you're watching live art being you're watching fashion come to life that has been referenced it's everywhere and he since. talks about he was like talks about being in the wings and having tears in his eyes because for yeah. years he talked about like there was like a joke between like around the team of him where they'd be like oh christ he's talking about robots again mm. he'd constantly be like we should be re- using robots and they're like yeah right enough uh, for him to see that come to life well for everyone to see that come to life he was a visionary and sometimes he could see things so clearly um and to get to the kind of practicality of that and see that played out in such an incredible Fully way. Fully realised, yeah. See the, the, you can feel, even watching it online now, you can feel the awe the in the room. Yeah. Because you just so can't. Because there's amazing kind of theatre when Harlow kind of stumbles into the centre. Yeah. And there's nothing, and, and it's almost like, it's like some kind of damsel in distress, sort of like a princess running through a forest being mm. chased. She, and she's incredible presence as well. Yeah. And then when the paint starts, and it's like black and yellow and green, because and essentially she's just yeah she's just a canvas she's been painted. But it's like, no but it's like is, she's been shot. It's like she's been shot. She's like yeah. There's this real violent element to it and to a lot of his work. It's like there, nothing like that oh, had yeah. ever happened and and yeah he was so innovative for that tech i think like the first ever live stream fashion show was a show of his like he was always using technology in that way but yeah nothing like this had ever happened you know like he was absolutely revolutionary not just in the clothes he made but in those shows like watching them back today i was just like wow like they're so dramatic yep. and they they hit you in the gut absolutely you know? and i think he really understood he really kind of and he said these clothes the way that I use clothes in my shows, they're not about clothes that you can wear, that you can buy. This is a statement. It's art. This is just a thing, an art. And then my ready to wears are somewhere else and I do that separately. Yeah. Um, it was funny though, because then even like, and then I was thinking about the use of the erotic yeah. with McQueen and, and the, the bumster trouser that became mm-hmm. a staple was, you know, very low cut and it was an early signature for him. And, and I think, you know, the, the, we see this now, like, in the like low cut or low rise jeans or low rise underwear yeah. like that that's McQueen that's where you know yeah um but so he says that the most erotic part of the body is the bottom of the spine which yeah. is where you know is so such a feature and I was like there we go again like another great artist that absolutely just took that kind of use of the erotic and wanted to make it super explicit you know and also yeah because there's references to kind of like you know, sexual references and kind of fetish references and yeah. stuff in his work as well. Oh yeah, loads of the even the ready to wear stuff like his harnesses and like yeah, it, like but like it, it'd be like a beautifully tailored shirt and then like a harness detail on the shoulder or something. It's really really well done. And it's interesting. So he got, I mean, obviously he was absolutely hammered in the press. Like, let's not be surprised at mm-hmm. that somebody tried to do something interesting. The press doesn't like him. That's a surprise. Yep. But 
he was often called a misogynist because of this the way is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wa- what he'd make women wear. So, you know, there's one show, which which one was it? Oh, it's maybe it is Highland. It's Rape. Highland Rape. Yeah, he got absolutely slammed for um, the, for making women objects. And there was um, one of the one of the models in Highland Rape had like these black trousers with like menstrual blood stains in right. the crotch, um, and then you've got yeah ripped clothing. You've got exp- like often like exposed chests. You've got. Um, and then also on the other end, you've got he would work with people to make kind of uh, bodices and quite kind of constrictive, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. kind of, uh, and people would be like, oh, I imagine he must just hate women. In fact, he'd said, you know, his whole world was about trying to make women feel stronger. Absolutely, and, that is what he says. Yeah, and I yeah, completely agree. You know that. When I think about the images that I'm drawn to with McQueen, it's big, it's the antlers, big, massive antlers, Gold. like huge, like quite um, warrior-like, mm-hmm. um, like there's like a lot of armour references and like chest plate references. There's a lot of big structural, quite very sculptural pieces. Mm. All of that is to do with um, making women take up more space than just their bodies yeah. in a way that isn't vulnerable, which is very, very strong and he wanted women to be scary now his background was his sister was well, in a really violent relationship he talks relationship. about this yeah he saw women be absolutely decimated yes. by men yeah and then his his life was about making and the, the idea of clothes as armor i really resonate with it. that's how i think about you know mm-hmm. when i decide what i want to wear and and when i think about what clothes mean to me it is about armor and it is about like strengthening and and empowerment absolutely and and so it's it's so it's almost like laughable that that would be the criticism leveled at yeah. him um but when do the you know when do people ever get it that's the thing you yeah know, as you say like the press you know here was a working class openly gay tr- kind of very very nuanced deep thinker and artist that the world was not really ready for just quite yet so of course, they were never going to get it straight away. And there's, at that time, you know, we were, the the world was fascinated, especially in the UK with um, the kind of, you know, the YBAs, the young British artists. So you had people like Tracy Emin, yeah. you had people like Damien Hurst. Um, they, they were kind of mesmerised by the kind of bad boys yeah. image of people in culture. And so in a way, on the one hand, the establishment and the and the media were kind of drawing them in and well, encouraging them. They, they loved the, the fire that it created. But they, on the other hand, they, they, want, they, they hated the smoke, them as well. But you know, they didn't want the fire exactly. kind of thing. And so there was this kind of push and pull and like... A dance. Yeah. And it was just, they were really, as they always are, kind of, they provoke things and then kind of try and tear them down and... McQueen, like well, like all of us, was was a very damaged man and found um, being in the spotlight very difficult because yeah. he wouldn't. Um, and yet again, the press have a big part to play in people like McQueen's downfall yep. because they they ju- they just use people and throw them away when they find something better. Yep. I find it very very difficult, and I try very hard to be compassionate and to to understand other people's 
motivations and decisions, I find it very difficult to understand why people work um, in the mainstream media and the tabloid press. I find it very... Your job is to create hell for people's lives. Yeah, yeah, I find it very hard to understand how you are, how you justify that morally and ethically Mm -hmm. to yourself. When we have seen so many... Well, we've got Diana, who's been in the news recently because it should have been her 60th birthday, died in a car accident while the paparazzi are gunning her down in a, you know, like running her off the road. You got the phone hacking scandals where people were be the the parents of murdered children were being hacked to get a story. All the way to Caroline Flack. That's right. You know, people like that, that we still see it. The press have driven people to death. Yeah, because they 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 treat them like sort of performing monkeys. Yeah, and can, they get swept up in this thing, and then they we drop had it with them, George you know? Michael. Like, oh look, yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, you're you're not wrong at all. And I think you know, as you say, you know, we're all we've all got baggage and trouble. Yeah. And 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 McQueen Lee McQueen had had a little bit extra than maybe the average person for sure because of his background and what he endured and he was a deep deep person but when people talk about him you know they say you know he was there's this beautiful phrase that he was generous without noise he's very loyal beautiful you know when when the press the fucking press were trying to they were gunning for kate moss for her like alleged cocaine use he came out with a t-shirt that said we love you kate on his runway show for his bow and like just stuff like that. It's like he had everyone's back, and yet where was where were the press with him? They were gunning him twice as hard. So I know. And there's this horrible. You know, he died aged forty, and yeah. that is just a tragedy. And like, there's this thing about you know he was really struggling to grieve the death of his mother. And in an interview with his mother before she died, she asked Lee what his greatest fear was, and he said dying before you. And that's just like, and then to to look at the events that followed, it just it's really quite upsetting because of course you had Isabel Blue died yeah um, and, and and her journey to death was absolutely I mean she multiple multiple attempts at taking her own life and, and so that's how her father died as yeah, well the yeah, same way yeah. it was just um, and McQueen had a lot to to unpack with with that because their relationship had broke yeah. down at that point then he'd always been so deeply close to his mum it was just unbearable to have lost her all this other stuff going on. I think it's really hard, it's really easy, sorry, to to forget how busy he was. When he was, so Givenchy brought him in as a creative director. Um, He still ran McQueen and he still did shows every season with Mm. both. He was doing like two full-time things and it's a life that is like full of excess and travel and like it was just you do yeah, anything like to get it over the line. Also living life to the full with yep. the people that he surrounded himself by. I mean, every cool person in the arts was friends with Luke McQueen, right? Yep. Like, you know, he knew how to have a good time and surround himself with perfect people and like not perfect people by any stretch, beautifully imperfect, but the the best people, you know, that that I'd want to hang out with. But um I think it's really important, yeah, like how much he managed to do it almost reminds me of like Keith Haring I was just like, going to say that thing of really like Keith Haring going out and then getting on the plane yeah, and going like, to, like the work ethic is just crazy and the work ethic is insane but he just, like Keith Haring and like a lot of people like these really these kind of stars that burn so brightly that they just they can't sustain yeah um, 
and you know he because one of the shows is de- is dedicated to his dog. Lots of the fo- like documentary footage you see is him with, with his dog, and he loved his dogs. And uh, he sort of reminds me of a dog. There's this really mm-hmm. sort of sweet, like loyalty, yeah, kind of like playful, kind of um, like he loved to like be silly and play pranks and stuff. He was very lovable, mm. um, and and so I think like and because he felt things so keenly, because his whole world was about passion and emotion. You can imagine how it's just impossible to digest grief at, on that level at that because you intensity. feel so deeply, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, or like at least I don't think he was given the opportunity to no. grieve. That's the thing, you know. It's not that feeling that deeply is is needs to be that problematic. It's just that when you're hounded by the press and you're at that level of fame, like nothing is yours anymore. Yeah. And there was, that grief isn't yours anymore. No, and there's How no do you space comprehend for it. That, you know? And there was lots of pressure on him to change the way he looked mm. and to change his kind of appearance. And like he was being pulled in so many directions, it, it, he didn't have any space for himself to do anything, to think yeah. about anything. And it, it just, it, it's a very sad thing that we lost him so young it wasn't sustainable that he could have lived any longer unless there was dramatic changes, you know. Um, Sometimes when someone's really brilliant, you want to squeeze every last drop of brilliance out of them. And then we do. And then they're gone. Yeah. And, like, there's so many examples of that, of just, like, burning out, people just burning out, you know, and, like... And it shouldn't have to... That's almost become routine. Yeah. And surely that's wrong yeah definitely is this this societal thing about you know being unbearably busy as a kind of badge of honor and be it unless you are delivering far beyond what you should be delivering you're not working hard enough mm. it's so damaging to people's like mental health it's absolutely yeah big time but i found his so that it was a really, really big thing when he was brought into Givenchy. So he replaced John Galliano, who's mm. kind of the... There's this really good book that Dana Thomas wrote called Gods and Kings, which is about McQueen and Galliano, because, <clears throat> you know, existing in the same space about the same time, but very, very different <clears throat> kind of experiences and careers. He was moved to Christian Dior and they brought McQueen in. Now... For someone who was like scrambling about on unemployment benefits to then be brought into Givenchy as a very young man and to suddenly be given a budget to to deliver work was like (laughs) absolutely unthinkable. Um, But it's a really interesting thing because, and this is something I sort of think about a lot with the work that I do is how does establishment and anti-establishment sit? So like part part of what I do is I work for the Arts Council, which is funded by, well, the yeah, the Department of Culture and the government. Yeah. And part of what I do in my work is work very hard to, as an activist and, you know, critical of the government. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes very difficult to understand the, or to, you know, not berate yourselves for making choices. And the way he described it was that he all the money he made from Givenchy he put back into McQueen. Yeah. He said, I was able to employ more people. I was able to like buy better fabrics. I was able to do stuff. And for me, it's a similar thing where I'm able to, through that bit of work, 
to do other stuff and to allow myself the time and energy and resource to do other stuff and to be more effective. But it is a very interesting thing because those massive, massive fashion houses are just a different world in comparison to the kind of single designers that we're used to seeing. Yeah. Um, and we see it also with like Vivian Westwood, who, you know, had to really be encouraged and pushed and also funded by someone to get people to work on her clothes so they mm. could be delivered at a, you know, reasonable rate that can, you know, satisfy demand. These massive houses, fashion houses, have huge amount of baggage that comes with them. Yeah. And well, and we saw that with Westwood as well, because then her own moral practice began to fight against right. the demands of a commercial fashion house. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like that, you know, like problems occur and it's really hard, as you say, like, how do you exist in this kind of thing of anti-establishment and establishment? Is, where's your I, integrity? I don't really know if I have the answer to that. Yeah, where's, where is your integrity and where do you, how, what are, what's the compass that helps you make decisions? Mm. And, and like one thing I always remember, like hearing him say is, so a really big part of, I guess the the economics of the fashion world is really interesting. So, the 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 catwalk shows that people have seen, they don't make money no. on the whole. Those pieces, well, they're never produced more than once, but they're also not really sustainable, and they they often don't survive much past the they're show. They're the kind of artistic expression. Yeah, but they're incredibly expensive yeah. to deliver. So they're usually a loss. Like everyone's making a loss when they go to London Fashion Week and deliver a show, but the that's an investment, and in, I guess other things, the visibility, whatever. Then you've got the, the, I guess the next level down would be the kind of couture collections that mm. have quite small runs and are very, very expensive, you know, but but are kind of created, well, there's more than one of each thing. And then you've got the kind of ready to wear kind of, you know, on the rack stuff where you're, you're selling more of that and it's a lower price point. It all requires lots and lots of creative input to oh, deliver yeah. that stuff. But then the big fashion houses, of course, because if you are big, then you have big overheads. They also have other things that make them far more money than the clothing does. And that's things like um, handbags and accessories and perfumes. And I remember someone asking him, like, oh, are you going to make a McQueen perfume? And him saying, yeah, what's it going to be called? Like, eau de scat. And he's, like, (laughs) laughing. And, like, I always remember that now and I think about because we, we talked about this before, didn't we? Like when when a designer dies, but their brand carries on. Yeah. What happens? And so, um, actually, the the woman who now runs McQueen, um, Sarah Burton, was had worked with McQueen. For, she went to um, Givenchy with him as an intern. Like she's been there throughout. So if anyone knows his vision, it is her. But it is interesting to see, like, how as a you always want people that are brilliant to grow as well. So you want everyone to know about someone like Alexander McQueen. But that comes at a price, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And so when I see... I wonder if there is a McQueen perfume. There probably is, you know. Because, yeah, there probably is because, you know, it's smart and it makes money. But that phrase, that oldest cat quote, always makes me laugh because that was a part of the of the world he was in he wasn't comfortable with at all you know and actually when he delivered those shows and they were art pieces um if he was a if he was a sort of fine artist like a visual artist he wouldn't have been required to do that in the same way because the economies are just different 
in art forms you know mm. fashion the fashion machine runs very differently to the music machine and the fine art machine runs very differently again it's interesting to to wonder what his life would have been like if he had been more of a, like a in Tracy Emin slightly for different example, discipline you know? yeah yeah it could have just been commissioned to exhibit his shows right and in that spaces and yeah. that might have generated you know because there was a big um in like 2015 there was a massive massive um, exhibition at the V&A yeah, of all stuff. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah, that could have been an alternate reality, couldn't it? Yeah. You know, of, of it's interesting how the context changes everything because it was like seeing a theatre piece when you mm-hmm. see those shows. Like, the staging is incredible of every single one. This is the one about Atlantis where oh, yeah. the, it's, it's kind of creating this underwater feel and the models are coming up f- through the floor. So it's like, Re- the logistics of delivering that are crazy. Yeah, this is like either like stadium show pop concert level, or like really high level theatre. But it's all been done in the context of fashion, right? Where where the that's not even the priority. Exactly. You know, that's like the end game yeah. thing when you start working on the, you know. But for him, of course, it was mm-hmm. right from the start, from the sketching of the garment. He'd have been thinking about how's this going to be staged, yep. and that is why he was fucking revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah. He was thinking about the dramatic impact and the context in which his clothes would exist while designing them. Yeah, absolutely. Not just let me design a nice garment. Because you know, it's so many catwalk shows are like carbon copies of one another. Trot up and down. You got a f- you've got a straight catwalk that runs out the middle of the room. It's usually in like a kind of hotel conference room space. Mm-hmm. You've got rows of chairs on either side of the catwalk. You've got the same people sitting there and then they come in, up, down, back. And that's it. And that is the start, the middle and the end. Yeah. And so when you look at people that do anything else, and like Vivian Westwood's uh, show, um, Homo Loquis, um, where she had activists and actors, yeah. you know, it's really exciting when people use that, you know, but it isn't the norm. No. I mean, Galliano did it as well, but it, it's not the norm at all to, yeah. to work like that. But that's the stuff that excites us so oh, much, man. you know? And I think one, one of the things that kind of made it difficult, I think at one point McQueen heard how much Galliano was being paid and I think it was about four times mm. what the what he had as a budget to deliver for Givenchy. And I think it just became very difficult for him to kind of... Well, well he was working his fingers to the bone, you know. a world of corruption and nepotism, yeah. you know. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, he, d- he did a fucking tough time of it. He really for did. Sure, and was incredible. Yeah. Despite. He really was. And one of my favourite photos of him is him coming down the catwalk with Philip Treacy, he's like hand in hand with him and he's got his kilt on and his kilt shoes and his kilt socks and then he's got his, uh, he's got like a red Mickey Mouse jumper on <laughs> and like they both look really happy and you, often when you see him come out to take his bows, he's quite like sheepish. He's really shy and like doesn't really know what to do, yeah. And there's a moment there where he didn't seem so shy and he f- seemed a little bit more comfortable and it, I guess it was before everything started, you know, going downhill but it's really nice when you get to see people be appreciated in their lifetime and for them to feel that and appreciation because yeah. it doesn't it, not everyone is, is lucky enough to have that but it was nice in those moments and like the number 13 mm. for him to see people react to his work oh, I've done this and like know that it, it made an impact this is like a really important thing you know that 
it just reminds me to make sure that the that I tell people what I think about them. Yeah. You know, while, while they're, they're still here. here. Yeah. Because you can't take people like this for granted. So what and one of the lovely things, there's actually a there's an Instagram account called McQueen Vault, I think. And it's based and it's really it's a really busy account. There's always stuff coming out and it is just from the archives of McQueen. And it's just so lovely to see such a huge body of work like live on beyond yeah. you know beyond him um and for him to be remembered you know so so well and so fondly and there's some really amazing books of of his work savage beauty is a really beautiful one that was what yes. the exhibition was that called was the well. V&A. Yeah, yeah yeah um and there's a lovely documentary called mcqueen which is the one on netflix yeah, yeah it's which beautiful. is like yeah, yeah, just so that was like so, a huge turning so point for me watching that yeah yeah it and it's just and it feels really honest and it feels like you get a real insight into personally yeah as well, yeah um and there's just so much online you could watch i think every one of his collections you can watch oh online. my god yeah yeah they're all and there. they are just that was my afternoon <laughs> and it's just like you just sit it's, in it's silence breathtaking like, it's breathtaking you know that some of the in the um widows of culloden which is like I think one of my favorite is the the woman who's in like the white twill dress and she has these massive antlers on. Mm. There's like twill, like wrapped around the antlers. He says they had to like cut a hole in this twill that was like eight hundred quid piece of twill to jam them through the antlers through them. It kind of looks like um there's some sh- there's some photos you'll see of deer, um that have like moss and grass and stuff in right. their antlers, and then it sort of looks like almost like spider webs or like mist, mm. and some of the other models have like there's these incredible headpieces there's one that's like these two there's lots of wings and feathers and stuff isn't there in his work and these these there's like two big bird's wings that surround this like bird's nest that's on this woman's head with lots of little legs in it and it's just like the bird's nest was a big thing yeah 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 so amazing um and there's so much amazing stuff out there oh that is it's captivating it is and horn of plenty is another incredible Mm. show We'll put links to some of those shows and like yeah. this will be a fun one to decide which pictures to use for it. Because I know, so I really want um, that picture you mentioned earlier, the McQueen and Isabella Blow with the Burning House. Yeah, that is that a, one. that's a yeah really um, beautiful one. But that, yeah, I think just what you said there is the most beautiful, poignant note to take away. It's like, tell people what you think of them while they're here, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, And just to say you're fucking amazing. You're absolutely And you need to... Yeah feel that while you're here you know enjoy every moment <coughs> exactly yeah so often when you do something great the adrenaline takes you away and then after it you're maybe just partying or whatever but to actually sit and get to enjoy that moment absolutely do you know what i mean you, you it's you know? so easy to miss it yeah because it like, will just pass you by and we're running as fast as we can yeah. and as soon as we do something we're like next thing right off yeah. we go and it, it's so important to just take a little moment and sit and yeah. realize i did a thing there a yeah. big giant thing especially when you are you work hard and you're busy mm-hmm. things just take and like you said at the start we've got to celebrate these little wins when we they come have. up to just sit and remind yourself yeah i worked hard and that was really good well done well done me so well done me well done you that's our lesson here's for today. to the wins well done everyone well done everyone <laughs>